Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Arjun Gupta. I play Penny on Sci-Fi's and the Magicians. And welcome to the Coffee Clatch Podcast. Get ready for a wild ride. The Coffee Clatch Welcome to the Coffee Clutch Crew, The Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we're bringing magic back into our lives with episode 10, All That Hard Glossy Armor. The title of which calls back to season 3, episode 9, the musical episode for that season, All That Josh. Written by John McNamara and Mike Moore. Directed by Shannon Coley, who previously directed Be the Penny. IMDb is giving this an 8.5. IMDb hatin'. Because I think it's better than 8.5. I really enjoyed this episode. There there are intensely split reactions to this episode, and we can talk about that. It actually is mostly not pertaining to it being a musical episode. I know those were the issues surrounding all that Josh. Did it have to be a musical? Were they just throwing it in there for fun? How did that contribute to the story they were trying to tell? I think they did a perfect job of striking that balance here. It wasn't overwhelmed with songs. They were only placed in where it sort of fit and was appropriate. And they still had those nice quiet scenes that depicted the intensity of Margot's journey. It definitely was not overdone. I feel like Elliot's presence and his singing directly pertained to whatever Margot was going through. And it paralleled the words of the song, the emotions going on perfectly. Well, and it makes so much sense that this is all happening in Margot's mind. It's a portrayal of her subconscious. I kind of thought that I was going to really enjoy this storyline. And in fact, I wish they had let it go a little longer. I'll tell you that the main source of my frustrations were that they tried to split this episode. They kept bouncing us back and forth between Margot in the desert and the crew in their search, what was going on with them. And every time they pulled away from her journey, it felt like it was dragging me out of what I really wanted to see. This is a storyline that could have easily spanned two or three episodes and in fact makes me wonder about some of the things that they slow played in Fillory that maybe weren't as important rather than spending the additional time here. Because I was loving what we were getting with her and Summer was just acting this incredibly But more importantly, every time we went back to the crew storyline, it's been feeling rougher and rougher to me what's happening there. And that just seemed to get a little worse for me in episode 10. So I understand where you're coming from, especially knowing that your thoughts on this Margot storyline would be based on the book. And we've discussed many times before in so many podcasts, because it's the truth, whenever you're trying to compare from the book, 99.9% of the time, It won't be exactly what you pictured. It won't be as much time given to those segments that you truly loved in the book. So I knew that would definitely, no matter what, be the case in your mind. But I do have to agree, I enjoyed her storyline so much that I would have loved to have two episodes of that, or at least one full episode for sure. But that's a good thing. I enjoyed it so much, I wanted more. And they always say, leave you wanting more. And I won't even get started on how much I loved (laughs) Margot in these scenes. We'll talk about that later. Now, in regards to the other storylines, I've been with you through some of the struggles, some of the hardships. There's always, it feels like you have to go from this to that, to this, to that. And as they're doing that, the story gets more and more busy and harder to keep track of at times. Barring one issue that I still can't figure out, and maybe the Clatchers will help us figure out. I didn't mind this journey, this mini journey that our crew went on, or at least parts of our crew. And I'm I'm speaking of Penny, Q, and Julia. The whole thought of a leprechaun and then an escape room. It's fun. It's actually a fun thought. 
juxtaposed to what Margot's th- going through, maybe we didn't have the headspace. We, we weren't in the mood for that. We wanted more desert. But as a whole, that storyline did not underwhelm me as much as it did you. It's just more and more it's been feeling disconnected. And instead of tying in better to the Margot storyline, it felt jarringly separate. Uh, jar. <laughs> and then it feels like they keep thinking they have to turn this thing on its head leaving us on cliffhangers that aren't really cliffhangers. So that was my first source of frustration. We left off last episode with Penny traveling into the monster's mine and making this great discovery once he'd talked to Elliot in the happy place. They're not building a body. It's so much worse than that. And then we come back, very first thing this episode, oh, nope, surprise. They actually are building a body. It's just not the one that you think. And that was the tipping point for me. It was like, oh, you're just putting in surprises for the sake of surprises. Was that really a cliffhanger? But then also it turns out, and Elias, who was first disguised as his servant that we killed, we thought that was him. Now the rest of the season, we've been thinking we see him. Nope, that's another front for this other guy, Angus, which is the true god. And he's not from Greek mythology or Egyptian mythology. He's from Celtic mythology. So now we're bringing (laughs) bringing in that... It just feels like it's not focused. Uh, I was really excited about that storyline, The God Hunt, and I'm sure they will bring it back around, but it feels like it's spinning out further and further rather than honing down. Especially in this part of the season. I feel what you're saying. It was a cliffhanger and it was a twist. It's not his body that we're rebuilding. That is the twist. What you're saying is it's not a body. That's what they left us on, Penny leaves us with it's not a body. And that's especially frustrating for us because we're doing character reviews and we're like, oh man, that throws all of our things out. And then the beginning of the episode, I watched it again. Q goes, so if it's not a body, and then Penny goes, no, it is a body, just not his body. (laughs) Okay. They didn't need to put that in. The it's not a body. They could have said it's not what you think Mm -hmm. or something like that. But that twist is a good twist. Hopefully, if it pays off, we don't know yet. I don't mind that twist. Now, moving on to your second gripe. I don't know if, if we had to make it where it wasn't Enulias. Mm. Why, why is that the case? I watched it over and over again. I kept thinking to myself, maybe we heard it wrong. Maybe he is Enulias. Right now, he's being Angus to hide from the beast. That would make complete sense. But I watched it again and again and again nope. with Arjun, <laughs> Penny, I mean, and Julia. When Julia does say... And Elias is a front. Mm-hmm. And it still doesn't make sense to me. Then I watched the scene when we see en- en- Elias, and he's like, I thought I would have been safe. I had a decoy and a disguise. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's a lot. And that's what I mean. I was really excited. It wasn't a disguise. I was really excited at the beginning of the season when they started to pull in mythology, as that seems to make a lot of sense in this story that we're telling about magic and this other secret hidden part of the universe, right? That's what makes us all so interested. Just peeling back that curtain and realizing something that you always hoped and wished existed, magic, it really does. It's just over there. But then this dark spin on it that it's not as amazing as you think, and it can actually cause problems and it's really difficult. Well, that harkens back to all the stories of the gods, right? Who are all totally messed up in their own ways. And we start meeting them and we realize they are messed up in this story. They're just as emotional as humans. They're just as envious. Yeah, (laughs) it's great. And they can also use that to do exactly what these stories of the gods were constructed to do. Explain these bigger things that we as humans don't understand. The creation of the universe, the changing of the seasons, 
the underworld, everything that I could see the magician story going to. But then things started to kind of unravel. Like the four gods that they pick have nothing to do with each other in the Greek pantheon. Bacchus, Heka, Iris, and Elias, who's now Angus from a totally different mythology. And then there's a god who has all these parts. Well, that makes sense because there's all these stories about gods being chopped up and whatever, but it's not him, it's his sister. If they can bring it in, in a way that makes sense, I'll be excited about that. Right now, it's feeling really disconnected. And I don't think that you can just kind of cherry pick these things and later on say, well, we were doing our own thing with it. This is our own spin on it. It at least has to follow some type of internal logic and consistency. And I'm concerned if we have that or not is what I'm feeling at this point of the season. Now, I am not as hard on this episode as a lot of the critics are. Some people are really tearing it apart and they don't like any of it. I'm not saying that at all. I still thoroughly enjoyed the Margot storyline and I'm really excited to talk about that. In fact, some of the critics described this saying, as powerful as Marco's character moments were, the flaws elsewhere in this week's episode make it an unfortunate misstep at a critical time in an uneven second half of the season. They too were not really happy with the God search or the Julia Binder thing that they said felt like an afterthought. But they do believe there's still little doubt the show will deliver in its finale as it always does. It's a question of the path from here to there, which is not that many episodes remaining. So I just wanted to kind of get that out there because I know some listeners are probably having the same feeling. Absolutely. And we pride ourselves with this podcast to not just be the type of cast that just loves everything no matter what because we're covering it. And chances are some people will be mad at us. But even these critics have kind of reflected what our little grips were. An uneven second half of the season. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go that far. The second half of the season has had some difficulties that we did point out. But I do disagree with the overall thought of this episode. I celebrate it. I celebrate the moments of campiness because I think it was on purpose. I celebrate the beauty behind it. That was definitely on purpose. The power behind it. And I am now officially in love with Margot and I'm leaving you. Well, (laughs) yeah, I don't think in anything I read, there were many criticisms of the Margot portion of the journey. Unless they were my own in that I wish we'd gotten more. I wish they'd spread it out longer. There's so much we could have seen or taken slower. And were there portions of fillery maybe earlier on that could have been swapped so we could have played this Margot thing out slower? Oh, perhaps. There were some fillery moments that we (laughs) did discuss that just didn't feel right. Didn't feel much to it felt more of just having fillery there. Check, doing a check-in and stalling yeah. for time. And for what? You know, give this more breathing space because it's incredible. And I'm, I'm really excited about diving into Margot's headspace, what this teaches us about her. I mean, even still, it's just a little bit of an exploration, right? To this incredibly complex character that is Margot. Yes, and I do have to say, one of the payoffs we did get from those fillery scenes which I was wondering about because it kind of just laid there dormant or speechless, is her lizard. Yeah. It felt like once we knew it was the lizard, it didn't have much weight, but that did pay off. This lizard did a hundredfold. That's one of those things. I wish instead of presenting 30 of them this season that can't all live up to that, they had done maybe Five, and they have the payoff that the lizard does here, where you can really fully bring that back around and have it tie into the story in a way that you're like, 
Oh my God, the lizard mm-hmm. is huge. It makes so much sense. I'm so glad that we have that here. And this journey that we've been on this whole time, knowing there's more to Margot underneath there. I wonder what that story is. We felt the same way in the books about Margot's equivalent, Janet. And in fact, this is where they pull the title from. In the third book, The Magician's Land, Elliot's reflecting to himself. He says, quote, For all the years of his life he'd spent with Janet, he'd never really known her, not deep down. Sometimes he looked at her and thought, Gosh, I wonder what's underneath all that anger, all that hard, glossy armor. (laughs) Maybe there's just an innocent, wounded little girl in there who wants to come out and play and be loved and get happy. But now he wondered if maybe that little girl was long gone, or if she'd ever been there at all. What was underneath all that armor and anger? More anger and more armor. Anger and armor all the way down. So in fact, Janet is a little less fully formed than our Margot on the show because they've taken her character much further than they ever did in the books. And that scene with her, well, alone, but her and Elliot, when she's exhausted, she has half that bag filled by herself. Mm. And she starts talking about that armor Mm -hmm. and her being king. Basically, in an even more beautiful way, that line you just read, they said. Yeah, but it's it's even more because there is something more than anger underneath all mm-hmm. that. If you could just strip down far enough. And I love the metaphor even that coming into this episode, she's stripped of her royal regalia, part of her armor, these clothes and outfits and even the eye patches she's been wearing for seasons now that represent Margot the King. She's off on the quest, sans makeup, in traveling clothes. But even that starts to break down as the episode goes on. First, she has this big cloak slash scarf that's wrapped around her that comes off Mm. and then there's a vest that starts to come off as she gets hotter and hotter in the desert you can actually see these layers being peeled off you said sans makeup without sorry without makeup i always thought it was sans like sans serif which would have been perfect because sans (laughs) she's in the desert (laughs) stupid well and in fact This whole quest is something that Summer Bischel has been looking forward to for a while. When she read that part of the book, she said this is something she could really sink her teeth into. And she was so excited to get to that point. In an interview, she said, there's a lot going on. Margot finally gets to go on her quest and it finally comes to fruition by episode 10. It really changes her. It's a big moment, a challenging time in her life, and it was amazing to play. It's what I signed up for in the pilot and what I've been waiting for all these years. Honestly, it would be very easy for Margot to become one note. If I slept on the job in one scene, she could become very obnoxious and without heart. I have to be constantly vigilant in order for her humanity to shine through. And she really thought about how she was going to execute everything down to the way she's singing the songs. And we'll get to that later on when we break down her scenes. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me slow down and first we'll talk new faces and places for the episode. We had the sick woman who we met in the bar, and I don't think we got a name for her yet, that the monster winds up taking hostage with him. She was played by Magda Aponowitz. And I'm assuming even though we didn't see her in the final scenes, she's still there somewhere. Yeah, I think he has bigger plans for her, and a lot of the fans were sending messages. They believe that's bolstered by the fact this actress is well-known. She's been in Continuum. They believe that we will see her again. They believe that there will be a continuum in her character. (laughs) Absolutely. A character we've been talking a lot about who we got to meet here the foremost is played by Devin Long. 
His co-leader, who I also don't believe we got a name for, it's not listed anywhere, but she was played by Claire Carey. You forgot to say about the foremost that his body reminded you of mine. You, you were saying that all <laughs> night when we were watching it, and I, would, I thought for sure you would say it in the podcast. Actually, I was saying something about his character, the nomadic tribe, the way he was reminded me a little of Cal Drogo from Game of Thrones. You know what he reminded me of, especially during the sexy time? <laughs> now, this is just my imagination carrying me. But with his hair and his uh, shirtless chest, strong, and the brown suede pants, he almost looked like a centaur. Mm, okay. Especially his silhouette. It really did. I mean, obviously he wasn't. It's just my imagination was taken over. Was this only in the books or in TV magicians early on when they were in Fillory and they were taken to a tent in the middle of nowhere by centaurs? Because maybe that's what's jogging it? Oh, I don't know. I'm thinking Percy Jackson. I'm thinking okay. Harry Potter. <laughs> gotcha. I don't remember. Shoot. Too much has happened. If not, we need some centaurs, for God's sake. <laughs> well, moving along, we also met Barry, played by Elise Malloway, who is the leprechaun serving Angus. I really enjoyed her. She was fun. I kind of want to hang out with her. <laughs> and Angus himself, played by none other than Gethin Anthony. We have a surprise for you coming next week. But in that podcast, it was brought up that he would be in this episode. And you and I were like, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, Renly, we saw him. Did we see him in a preview? Did we? Uh... No, we saw him last episode in the flashback. And it just didn't click. Well, we recognized him. Right. Because immediately you turned to me and said, Game of Thrones. I was like, oh, is that Renly Baratheon? He looks so different because he's not in Game of Thrones look <laughs> with the extra facial hair, the longer hair. His character was awesome. He was so godlike, as in overconfident, cocky, kind of a dick. Not enough time spent with him to really kind of parse that character out, but we will talk later. He's supposed to represent a Celtic god. Trickster. Amongst other things, yes. But also he gave a little hint, hint. Another little flavor towards Julia and her godlike nature. I hope to God there's a payoff there. <laughs> So that's new places. Do we have any new magic? Not really. We got to see the ice axes, which we'll talk about that we discussed last time, which is a tool that can expel possession. And we got the name of that tracing spell Alice mentioned last time that they were going to use to map the magic pipe system with the beetle. That's called McCormick's tracer. But nothing new, really, unless you count the hallucinogenic properties of the that. lizard. <laughs> and thus, without further ado, let's get into our plot. If you notice, we are paring down. We started out the season with several stories. Then for a while, it was four main ones, then three. This time we have just two. But I love the fact that they showed the other storyline. Like it was there in the background. It was mentioned by Alice. The library storyline. Yeah. Well, they're, they're kind of finally starting to tie that into the crew a little bit by having those characters in the same place. Yeah, even when Penny, Q, and Julie are talking on the couch, in the background you see Alice at the table talking with her side of the crew, doing right. their thing. which hasn't happened up until now. And in fact, Alice and Julia talk about that. Mm. Well, what is your side been yeah. up to? What is ours? I love that. So they're making acknowledgement to those things have been separate thus far, but we're kind of starting to show them together. Have I mentioned I really love this episode? <laughs> Well, the more you say that, the more it's going to sound bad when I continue to criticize because this half of things is where I have a lot of trouble. Yin yang, baby. But we, we are going to start out with this group. 
first what we said that Penny is reframing the fact the monster is not rebuilding his own body, but rather his sister's. If the stones aren't for building a body, what does he want with them? No, he's building a body. His sister's. He's trying to bring her back to life. That's the girl he thought was a sacrifice to summon Enyalias, but she wasn't. Enyalias and the other gods killed her. They chopped, chopped her up and turned, and turned into four stone, stone organs. The brother had received imprisonment and she death, which makes it seem like she's the bad one. I'm guessing she's the bad one. But the monster luckily won't look for Enyalias until he remembers all of that. They are confident that's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> surprise, surprise. He gonna remember. That's when we cut to the monster approaching the woman in the bar that smells like death because it's next to a hospital. And she's dying. Uh, presumably <laughs> I mean, a lot of people there are. Yeah. And he has this sense for that. Yeah, she tells him she's sick. In fact, she only has a few months left to live. And as she's about to leave, she touches his face. He's able to remember someone he'd forgotten. His sister. Then he gets creepy, tells her she's not allowed to leave, grabs the woman, and just takes her with him. Okay, I'll probably forget to mention this or point out all the awesome Elliotisms hmm. I'm now proclaiming it as. Elliot as Elliot Monster when he's talking to the bartender. There's so many little things oh. that he does. It's freaking hilarious just the way he says the drink. He'll shove another one. <laughs> I can't even do it right. It was just hilarious. I loved it. Yeah, as much as we miss the real Elliot and we can't wait to have him back, there are also so many wonderful monster moments. Mm -hmm. I'm going to miss his portrayal from that side of things. Because he can go a little over the top. He can tilt things a little bit more with this character. There's yeah. more room. It's creepy and definitively non-human, but in a way that's hard to pin down. Yeah, it's creepy, but at the same time, at times has some childish like mannerisms that make it almost cute it's that balance is amazing you, well, you can feel for him in those moments when he tells her come with me and i can make you better i'm sure in some level in his mind he believes that whatever he's going to do to her that's not going to be fantastic that probably will be as a host or a part to bring his sister back or whatever you don't think he can heal her he can probably heal cancer I think he meant you won't have to worry about that anymore because you're going to be a vestal for an immortal being. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> well, no, I don't think he meant that yet because he didn't remember at that at that time yet about his sister. Uh, no, not fully, but things were starting to come back to him. She didn't touch his face yet. I wonder, even just her presence, though. Okay, okay. And that's passing strange, too, but would maybe fit in with some of the things we've been talking about mythology-wise with gods who rule over the dead, maybe there's just an understanding there. You know what I wonder? What, what was he doing there in the first place? What made him go into that bar in front of a hospital? M maybe the smell. That's mm. what I mean. Maybe it's the death that's drawing him. I know, but I feel like the hospital, that smell would be greater Stronger. than that bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? but maybe, maybe this is mixed in with the Elliot body exerting the addiction influence. I oh, thought we hmm. would see him having a drink there. Yeah, he didn't. But no. Hmm. He never paid the bartender, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> and meanwhile, back at the apartment, Penny remembers that in the memory, the god who they thought was Enyalius was wearing an emerald ring. Julia thinks when she did her research, she does recall a god that was known for wearing an emerald ring. Mm, okay. They were researching Egyptian mythology, but she stumbled across a Celtic god? This part, I do agree with you, was a little wonky. How did that happen? I do happen? agree. I do agree. Again, I want to say, if it was the opposite, if it was the god was 
masquerading as Angus, the Celtic god, to hide from the monster, that would make more sense to me. Absolutely. And Angus wasn't even himself anything of a major figure in that mythology. But anyhow, they see that Enelias was a front. However, they can only get to Angus through a magical creature, a species that actually exists to protect the trickster god. We're talking about leprechauns. I loved Julia's face when she says, a leprechaun? Like she knew to her friends, this is going to sound so fucking weird. Yeah, and is weird. Another thing that has my mind boggled is if he was masquerading as Enelias, how long has he been masquerading as him? Because in the flashback, the monster says that's Enelias. You would think he would know, looking at the person, he's wearing the emerald ring, he would know that was Angus, unless even way back then, he was already masquerading as Enelias. Or the way they're making it sound like they're going to cover this, he just didn't have enough memories of any of that to piece it together. I mean, he recognized Bacchus and all of them. I don't know. Let's just jump over to, at this point, Alice comes to deliver the binder to Julia. It's in a language she's never seen before, but Julia says, well, they'll look into that once they figure out the monster situation. This is more pressing. And so that segues us into the brief look we're going to get at the library, which plays a really small role this week. Although Zelda feels like more and more part of the crew at this point. Yeah, well, we've kind of been saying that for a while that we thought we'd learn to empathize with her through Alice's eyes and seeing her relationship with Harriet And the fact that I've been proclaiming all along that I really don't think she's a bad person, that she thought she was doing right. Now she's uncovering that for herself. All of the reasons she thought she was fighting for the library perhaps are not correct. She's been duped in a lot of ways. So far, leading all the way up to her opinion of Everett. She goes to question him about the serpent group here, but I think to try to assuage some of those niggling doubts she has now that Harriet has told her he's not a good guy, she even tries to offer her help. But he very dismissively tells her they haven't identified the leader yet, and he's sure Zelda is busy enough with her own tasks. Mm. Mm. Well then, in an effort to really convince Zelda, Katie shows her the output reports the library has been publishing weekly. They say there are sufficient levels of ambient magic given to the public. However, they bugged the pipes using this beetle and a spell, and this revealed there's a lot more magic in there than what they're saying. Everett is trying to effectively squeeze out the hedges. Zelda's on the inside, so she can find out where the extra magic is going and why they're lying about it. So Zelda's still kind of in denial. This can't be true. Everything I believed in can't be all false. And there's Katie giving her, yet again, a little bit of a reality check. We did the work. We bugged the system. The magic is going somewhere else. So, of course, she's got to find out for herself. So she heads back to her office and checks one of the logbooks on the shelf. Well, initially, the output numbers seem right. But after using a revealing spell, she sees the magic actually being given out is much lower than what she was led to believe or what was recorded there. Now, I felt Zelda because... I wish I had magic powers when I look at my electric bill and my gas bill. I'm being lied to, damn These, it. They're like, look at the graph, look at the graph. And I'm like, I know the graph says this, but I, if it's I had a revealing spell, true. it would not be that big. I do not owe you this much money. That's so funny. Yeah, absolutely. And she doesn't want to believe it, right? But this is just going to be the start of her coming on board with this. We haven't even yet seen 
what Harriet is figuring out and what she'll tell her. Uh, Here's a great idea, and I really hope this comes true. In the end, Everett is about to kill Zelda, and Harriet comes in and kills Everett and saves her mother. That'd be awesome. I'll be on next season's writing. (laughs) Well, now we come back to the crew, where Q, Penny, and Julia go to a shoe shop in a desperate effort to find a leprechaun. Taking pity on them, the woman Berry confesses her identity. When they learn she's a leprechaun, the group warns her that a monster is trying to kill her boss, Angus, and they need to warn him. She eventually takes them inside, but shows them they must solve the escape room first before they can get to him. I really love the way this character was depicted. Very playful. It's all about games. Yeah, 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 you're warning me. Well, you're going to have to get through this first. I'm going to put on my 3D goggles and watch you get out. I really enjoyed that part. It could have been fun if I'm barring the fact that it's weird we shifted to Irish mythology out of nowhere. But then even the escape room itself is kind of wonky. Like we really just have this thing with the claw grabber arm. And keys hidden everywhere. Yeah. You wanted some riddles? Like, yeah, if you're going to make it, a full side story to be pulling away from this desert thing make it a full side story you know like it's just a weird room where we have to solve this claw grabber game and surprise surprise it's again the fact that julia is indestructible so she could stick her arm up there i mean did that teach us anything new either about the group julia's identity or the god search the answers are no i see what you're saying they could have taken that whole idea of an escape room even in a playful way with a leprechaun And made it a pretty interesting riddle that they have to solve. I see what you're saying. And make all of them useful. Because basically, Quentin and Penny are just kind of standing around. I do feel bad for Quentin. He's trying to, again, bring himself back into the middle of this. Well, I'll sacrifice myself. I'll put my hand up there. I don't care. And she's like, Q, this is kind of stupid. Remember, I can do this and not get hurt. By the way, she's really flippant with that. Yeah, and by the end of the episode, we're going to see him feeling really lost, depressed, kind of without purpose. Poor Q. We always say that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it winds up being that Penny really just kind of reaches up on top of the door and there's the last key. They enter the office and discover Angus, who they try to warn about the impending attack. But as you said, he is thoroughly unconcerned. He believes humans are way too high strung. You can't enjoy life if you're in constant fear of its end. He also reveals it's okay. He's got a fallout shelter that the monster can't penetrate. He even offers for Julia to come with him. They're more alike than she knows, he says. And he's sure he can fix whatever is wrong with her. And of course, he can't remember the password. And the, the <clears throat> code is like ancient runes. Yeah. Which is funny. I did start to feel the anxiety that the crew was feeling which I think was obviously purposeful. I was like, come on, dude, just get in there. Get in there, man. Yeah, and it does make sense from a God perspective. Human time is very... Short. Short to him. You know, 10 years is the blink of an eye. So to Angus, you're all rushing around like crazy. This is nonsense. Shed your mortal fear. Yeah, for sure. And I think it provided a little bit of reprieve, a little bit of, um, I guess, comic relief for this episode. The only thing that gets me is all the other gods were aware that the monster was out and was out to get them and they were scared. Why was this one in particular? Uh, And he's aware because he's been in hiding. He's actually gone through the steps of creating a diversion, a disguise, an entire fallout shelter. He even puts these kind of wards up that he doesn't think he's going to be able to get through. 
But then he's so flippant about, there's no rush. I already died in Game of Thrones. I can't die again. <laughs> I mean, it's no shock to anyone that while he's trying to figure out the passcode, the monster enters the room with the head of Barry, comes up behind Angus, and rips the organ out of him. Well, he picks some berries. Oh, <laughs> and no. And then got his organ. Well, at least Penny's thinking quickly, because not wasting any time, he travels the rest of the group immediately out of there. Not that it matters, because the monster could get them if he wanted. It really doesn't, but... But he's not out to get them at this at point. At least he's acting. <laughs> and after the escape back at the house, Q is becoming dejected. Julia tries to encourage him it's not over, but in doing so, she also says, we'll figure out the binder and I'll become a goddess again. He's like, well, that's you and your journey, though. How is that supposed to make me feel better? How are we going to figure the Elliot thing out? Do I have any purpose in life? I don't know why she thought that was going to be reassuring to him. It doesn't look like it's helping. But she says when she does, she'll need him to remind her to care about the others. And before they can finish the conversation, Zelda arrives back at the door. Okay, I don't want to waste any more time on that storyline because we have so much more to say and we're so much more thrilled to talk about the Margot quest. So let's get into that. In Fillory, Margot is off on her journey, walking through the desert with her birthright lizard in the bag. 35,965 steps later, she runs out of water. And I'm thinking that iPod is pretty much out of juice. It's as running well. low. <laughs> and she asks the lizard for a sign. At this, a drop of liquid appears on its skin. And when Margot licks it off, she promptly starts hallucinating. Elliot appears on a cliff singing. She thinks, it can't be the monster. He doesn't have the moves. Oh my God, I'm tripping on lizard. <laughs> yeah, so funny. There were so many funny parts and deeply meaningful parts with Margot in this episode. So one thing, watching it the second time around, I got to see a lot of little details. Yes, it is her inner conscience and past memories and thoughts of people that could give her some hope and help push her in the right direction. But it is, and we do learn this by the end of the episode, but I love the clues that they give in the beginning. It is the lizard who's doing this. When Elliot starts singing for the first time, she looks in the bag, the lizard's gone. Then as they're both singing and the sun is behind them, there's a lens flare that happens on screen and it's green, the lens flare, and it has scales. That's has amazing. Scales. I did not notice that. And then the coat that Elliot wears the whole time, which must have been super hot in the desert, by the way, <laughs> well, he's got is no a shirt leather underneath. scaly lizard coat, mm. or at least it looked like lizard skin. Well, it also kind of looked like his former royal coat, mm -hmm. the patterning on it, like what he war when he was hiking from from afar but the close-ups it for sure was lizard scales so that whole time it's the lizard helping margo out this lizard for sure is just as impactful as lord fresh promised us yeah. way back in the beginning of the season well two things it enables her to not be alone during this part of the journey which probably would have driven her crazy to in some fashion see the friends who she needs very much but also to psychologically confront herself in different sections, which as a therapist is just amazing. She's going to tell us later what each one of her friend's manifestation represents. And Elliot, of course, is her id. So that's all your raw impulses, your drives, your desires. Makes complete sense. And this is why we see him gyrating, mm -hmm. kind of half taking his clothes off, dancing with her. Twitter was ablaze. They were like, we need more Elliot and Penny with their shirts off. 
or their chests out. That all adds up, you know, Margot's sexual drive and her impulses. And he's singing here, we'll go through the songs as we come to them. The pretenders don't get me wrong. I really like the fact that they let Elliot uh, sing a little more this season. He sounded really good last season, uh, the little bits that he had. Obviously, uh, most of this crew is not trained singers, and that is evident, but I love that they just embrace it. So they leaned heavily on Elliot because he's really good at at uh, really good at making his voice sound pretty good. And of course, Jade didn't need to be there, but they openly. It's obvious she's got the most talent made the there. Jo- made the, right, and yeah. made the joke about I'm here for Four the octave range, bitch. But it should, even storyline-wise, be predominantly Elliot. That's who she needs to see in these moments. Absolutely. And after chasing this vision to try to figure out what the hell is going on, she eventually passes out. And she passes out in only what I can assume is the place that the lizard was bringing her or pulling her while singing and making her walk with her so that these other people could save her. Yeah, she makes mention of that. And also leading this to... actually led me where I needed to exactly. go. <laughs> when she comes to, Margot sees a group of people standing around her. The leader, the foremost, is prepared to kill her when his co-leader notices her brands and changes her mind. Our enemy's enemy is our ally, she says. They take her to the camp where Margot wakes in a tent. Recognizing the red sand in the jars as the same she saw swirling out there in the desert, the woman tells her their desert is alive, full of demons that attack their women. And just then, outside the tent, a woman named Zal starts yelling at her husband who apparently wants her sister, I think. (laughs) The red sand materializes and goes into the man. Now, this really should have been our first clue. It attacks the women. Why is it going into the man? Well, they showed in this particular scene that the man jumps in front of the woman, so it looks like to us... He just got in the way? Yes. And at this, the foremost takes his axes and stabs the man in the chest to release the possession, and the woman traps the sand in another jar. The co-leader explains to Margot... Anytime a woman gets emotional, the sand rises up to possess her, eventually causing paralysis or even death. The men save them because they alone have the strength (laughs) to survive. The demons can't be killed, so she has learned how to imprison them. So right away I was a little suspect because this show is never like that. Mm -hmm. They actually hate those tropes, it seems, in movies and TV shows. This show has been more about the empowerment of women. This is also the point where she realizes no one else can see the Elliot vision that she's still witnessing. She recognizes it must be in her mind, and Elliot tells her it's pieces of her. Her spirit guide, her memories, her conscience. And so she starts getting to know the foremost a little better. He's shocked to find out that Margot was the High King of Fillory, and more so that they kicked her out. They drink and kiss, and when it starts getting serious, Elliot begins singing the song that she thinks to herself whenever she's working a guy, Mm quote-unquote, accompanied by Josh and Fenn, who stand by watching. And of course, this is the first time, we'll hear it multiple times, that we get White Snake, Here I Go Again, which is really great for Margot, makes a lot of sense. The next morning, Margot tries to wheedle borrowing the axes from the foremost, the point of this whole plan, of course. But he says no one can wield them except him because they're enchanted. She then wonders how she would go about making some on her own. He explains the impossible task. Lifting a handful of sand, he shows her that most grains are white, but every hundredth or so is black. A warrior must go alone into the desert, 
pick out only the black grains, enough to fill a large bag, which is then forged into the weapons. He's surprised she's ready to take on the challenge, reminding her she can't get emotional or the spirits will attack, and she can't use magic or it will render the grains unstable. And she won't have a man to save her. Mm -hmm, Of course. I forgot to mention, before they do the sexy time, (laughs) she's greeted by not just Elliot, in comes Fen. Oh, that's what I said, and Josh, and they're just standing there watching her. Well, I, I... I think they disappeared when she's having sex. No! Oh, oh maybe. They okay. didn't. I just put that in my head. But I love the Josh quote, which is, you're going to give this man necromancy in a place that has two moons? That's pretty mean. <laughs> but also Fen, especially this episode, it felt like, and I don't know her personally, but with all the interviews I've seen and, and her on social media, it actually felt like Britney this episode. Like fun, outgoing, kind of silly. Oh, like... Like that her was actual her. personality yeah. coming through, yeah. <laughs> Especially when they're dancing outside. Um, she's smiling. I think she had the most fun this episode. Oh, I could see why. Well, and of course, it might seem a little weird that they are just standing there. Especially Josh, because that's hella awkward, even though it's just a her manifestation mind. of her mind. But we find out that makes sense because Josh represents her guilt in this form. But also, at the same time, you know when you have a pet and... If you're doing the dirty, if you have a dog, the dog will sit right there in that oh, room and just look at you. don't liken Josh to a pet dog. No, no, but it's a lizard. So in reality, the lizard's just sitting there <laughs> looking at them, just like an animal. Oh, absolutely. You but, know? Um, this also adds up that, you know, she feels guilty for what she's doing to Josh on some level. On another level, she knows it's necessary. In one sense, she is very empowered and able to take control of her sexuality. You know, she is commanding this situation. But on the other hand, Fen is also standing there, who's supposed to represent her lost innocence. Mm. And that's all going to add up when we find out her confused ideas about when she fully became a woman and how that was accepted, or I should say, not accepted by her father. Although this scene, knowing what we know since we've watched the whole episode, she was not in control. This whole time, the foremost was playing her. Well, yeah, they wanted her to go out there, but... It's not like sexually she was being taken advantage of. They were both kind of playing a chess game. Yes. Just not knowing the other one was. But the foremost thought for sure she was leaving, obviously, to do a journey that would not result in anything and probably die. Yeah. Either die or come back and be another slave. Yeah. Now, I'm going to come back to this later. Why is his co-leader, a woman, going along with this? Power. Just to be at the top? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that sucks. Well, undeterred by all the foremost warnings, Margot sets out. It's then that the others from the group begin to join in and they all start singing. And she's naming what each of them are. In addition to Elliot, Fenn, and Josh, we also get Katie, who she says is my inadequacy. (laughs) And Dean Fogg, who she says is her wisdom. Talk about obviously cannot sing, but was so great to see on oh, there. Oh, I'm glad he I was loved there. it. I yeah. loved it. And watching it again for fun. I was just trying to watch them knowing that this isn't their natural state. When they were doing the circle around Margo and dancing, Dean Fogg was kind of trying to dance with it, <laughs> but he was very stiff. And even before that, and no one probably saw this because Katie, or I should say Jade, was so good with delivering her singing and her movements up top. But once she had to go back into the back of the line, everyone's doing a step to the beat. And you see she's having a lot of trouble once she backs up 
to oh, start going like walking forward backwards and yeah and then start walking forward with the group in time with everyone else mm. and she stutters a few times her steps to get back okay. into play now i saw this because i was in band for many years mm. and i was in uh you know in high school you go to you were in marching band and then you're like the elite marching band where you go to florida so we had to do all these competitions we would have to turn and all that stuff. And there'd be times where I had to stutter a few times to get back in line with everyone. So I knew and I felt what she was going through there. Oh, I can 100% sympathize because I was in a competitive cheerleading team, which might sound a little not as intense as it was if you weren't <coughs> part of a competitive cheerleading team to understand that these things are insane, the level that you have to train and prepare. And it's the same thing. If you are not 100% in sync with every movement that you do exactly the same time, you're going to get points deducted or people are going to notice. And that would be tricky when you were doing a stunt because you had to come back down from the stunt and then re-enter the dance when everybody else was doing it. It's essentially what she was doing. Yeah. Re-entering the dance. I was a flyer. So the person they would throw up in the air. And then when you came down, you almost had to run back into (laughs) the right position, but like crouch and do it so that nobody could notice. The only reason I got away with that is I'm five feet tall. (laughs) (laughs) So if you watch it again for fun, just check that out. It's cool. It's cute. I like it. Back to the scene here. Sometime later, we see Margot painstakingly digging through the sand, pulling out only the black pieces. Oh, can you imagine? It's turning to nighttime. She's just looking utterly exhausted. And alone now, Elliot tries to sing the song, quote, that she loved when her father sang to her as a child. Beautiful dreamer. I love the way Elliot delivered that song. Mm. And it's here where Margot finally breaks and announces she can't do it anymore. She remembers her father singing that lullaby to her every night. He called her his little princess and was better than other dads. He loved her until she had the audacity to grow up. Fucking apologies for the surprise, Dad. I saw what he raised. A woman he couldn't control. Who didn't need anyone else's approval. Nothing deadlier to the fragile male ego. He was the one who told me I could be anything. And I believed him. But he didn't tell you that the world makes you choose. You can be one of the smart ones, or one of the pretty ones, or even a strong one, but... Try to be all three. Middling a smile and shut up. There's a second you're you. A second. Out loud, pissed off. What a bitch. What a slut. Who the fuck does she think she is? So you never give them the chance to hurt you. You hit first, thus all that hard, glossy armor. I thought this was a really amazing point to make because we could have given Margot a different backstory. We could have given her the Janet backstory from the books where she was kind of uh, abandoned, a little bit forgotten, just not cared about by her rich parents who didn't have time for her. Or there could have been some sort of vague, undefined trauma that we never really learned about. But it's this widespread sort of attitude towards women that a lot of females will encounter growing up that's perhaps hard to define and to explain to others but can be really pervasive to who you are at the core where you're kind of told to be anything you you can be anything you can do anything 
and be great and be at the top of your game. But then you get to a certain level and you realize, well, you really shouldn't do any of that. Hmm. Uh, Because if you try to be all that and you just say, well, here is me. Well, that's generally not really liked very well. And that may sound a little bit feminist. And I'm sure that's part of what this message is portraying. But that's who Margot is as a character. She is a strong female woman. And that's going to butt heads with some people. And it started out with her father and it formed this real schism in their relationship. And right now, that's just the icing on the cake. (laughs) On top of losing everything that she had, because that will come up next. She'll try to reassure herself, I'm the king after all. But then her little conscience voice says, well, no, you were the king. I'm still a king. King of manipulation. King of pointless rage. King of I can't do this. King of he was right. King of I eventually fuck up everything. That's not true. That's what Elliot would say. But you're not Elliot, are you? I'm angry every second my eyes are open now because I know who I am. The only thing I ever did right was to be your best friend and I can't even do that. So here's another thing. One person she really allowed herself to get close to, she cared for, who she felt understood her, and she can't save him right now. She can't be there for him in the way that she wants to be. But I love that there's this part of herself that gives her this counsel. The wind and the sand can reduce even mountains to rubble. Are you stronger than that? (laughs) (laughs) And finally, she just starts yelling in frustration that moment where you just can't take it anymore you see the red smoke starting to swirl in and you think oh this is it so you let that emotion come out but to margot's surprise it does not possess her it leads her outside where it forms into a woman such a great scene that you said she informs herself about the mountains turning to rubble it is herself but also i think a lot of it is the lizard too coaching her through it it's not just herself I'd like to believe. What do you think? Um, well, he says it seems like what his magic has done is allowed these parts of her to come out of her and, okay. and talk to her. But she does also say that's what Elliot would say right now. So she's kind of projecting the advice mm. so that he can, in a way, counsel her in that moment. It's a really complex, like multi-layered thing that's happening in her own mind. So it's a balance, really. It's similar to what we saw happen with Alice last episode where the mirror world is actually able to visualize for us the two major aspects of Alice into being so we can see what that's like and so they can have it out with each other. Well, these are all the different factions of Margot coming into existence. And you know, in addition to those being parts of yourself, they're also impacted by other people that you have relationships with, by the interactions that have molded you and shaped you over time. So I love that this actually goes quite a few levels deeper if you start to think about it that way. And it turns out that even the spirit is kind of a part of this because it is the embodiment of female empowerment, right? When we learn what it's actually there to do. Because when Margot returns to the camp, her bag now full of black sand, mission accomplished, and she confronts the foremost to ask him to transform it into axes, the two leaders laugh saying no woman has finished this task before. But she reveals, yeah, I know, that's not what you're about. This spirit woman told me what's really going on here. When she had her moment and it started to reveal itself, she didn't see it as scary smoke. 
maybe due to her fairy eye. Thankfully, that came back into play. She was actually able to see what was really there, what was hidden underneath. Yeah, we finally got to see what the fairy eye could help her with. I forgot to mention throughout these scenes, the last scene with them singing together with, I guess you would say, like the sand mountain behind them, you saw this beautiful scene with the whole crew there singing, and there's the red sand behind them. I really enjoyed that. And then the scene with her and the woman sand flying there, that reminded me of the Game of Thrones concert that we saw. Oh, yeah, where she's raised up into the air. Yeah, and the dress is really long. And I think their decision to not let us hear what that sand being was saying at the time made this scene so much more impactful. Because mm-hmm, it's Margot that delivers it. And it's li- it's being delivered to us as well as the two assholes. Mm-hmm. And they were just so flippant. They were like, you should be happy for yourself. It's a good thing. You survived. And they're, they're laughing at her like, oh, you know nothing. But it turns mm-hmm. out she actually does know mm-hmm. quite a lot. So she is now armed with that information. Whenever these spirits hear a woman who is sad, upset, or angry, they actually help by possessing whatever man is causing the distress. They are, in fact, protectors. And if the problem isn't a man, they do whatever it takes to help the woman. During this scene, we get a couple of more good Elliotisms. Yes, and now the foremost is feeling very threatened. And he says if her intention is to spread these lies to the people, he won't let that happen. And now we get the fourth song coming in, Gnarls Barkley, Storm Coming. It's then that Margot channels her full power. She throws the leaders back with a spell. And this is the first time we've seen magic be performed in a big way. Pretty much this whole season. I mean, we've had magic at a slow trickle on Earth. We saw Alice perform a little bit of it and then open up the pipe. And then we haven't really gotten to see that in Fillory. So this is an especially impactful moment because we haven't gotten a lot of it. For sure. And this is definitely the climax of this episode. Yeah, Margot badassery begins. She just throws the leaders back breaks all the jars full of red sand to release the spirits and walks out wielding the two axes. And she takes control of the camp. Such a great scene. That final scene with with her crew singing behind her. She does a movement with the axes and there's the sand above her. Above her head, yep. So well done. I'll never forget those scenes. And afterwards, she tells the women that the spirits serve them. She instructs one of them to test it, saying if she wants her husband back, all she has to think is for it to do that. And the spirit does leave him. She says they can tell the spirits to leave, to stay. Either way, they have the control. And on the way out, she tells the leaders the new desert order will suck for them. (laughs) And as she starts her journey back, Elliot appears once more singing Beautiful Dreamer. She knows he's just a hallucination, but she tells him she misses him and promises she will get him back. Then Elliot disappears, and she sees the lizard has returned to her bag. And I like this. Just in case you missed it, she looks in the bag again. It's empty. She goes, tells him she misses him. When he disappears, the lizard's back in the bag. I I just, I love the whole thing. He's giving her a chance to say goodbye. And she walks on alone, singing that song. She sang that song really well. At the end there. Yeah. It was beautiful. She also talked about that in the interview, how she knew she wasn't going to be able to become an amazing singer in a couple of days, like a classically trained singer. But what she did want to do was to be authentic to the character. 
to find something that felt really honest and true. And she says she explored another voice to have by the end of the episode, one that we haven't heard from Margot before. I really wanted there to be some softness and vulnerability in that last song. So to show that, yes, she is still that same incredibly strong Margot she has come to terms with, she is all of those things, and she's not going to let other people's opinions of that bother her anymore. Mm. She's going to be smart and strong and capable, and if they can't deal with that, well, oh well. But there's not going to be kind of that really hard, rough edge to her. She has had this emotional journey and come to a slightly different place. So beautifully done. I thought that was really well portrayed. I loved Margot's story here. I have to say this has to be the strongest story that they've told so far. And that says a lot with the Well, I was very hopeful, you know, of this material going into it. I was excited for you to be able to see this moment that, you know, on some level I read about in the books years ago. But I was worried if that was going to be able to live up. And I said, well, it'll be great if they could find a way to translate what was really an internal experience in the book that you were able to get from her first person point of view. Mm. But that's really hard to do on TV. I was like, I wonder how they're going to accomplish that. They could do that through song. They did it through a lot of different levels. And I think that it really worked. Let me ask you a technical question. Where is she going now? Back. Back where? Oh, that's right. Fillory, she's... Oh, you're right. She's eternally banished, and she's got the axes, which means she needs to get back to Earth to save Elliot. That's a good question. I don't know. Curious to find out. So we're not done with the Margot journey. Something to note, if you watched it on Sci-Fi Live, they went right to the next show that was airing. But if you watch it on their website, which I did the second time, Margot and Elliot during the credits continue singing that song and it's very beautiful oh that's nice yeah it's nice so that wraps up our plot and takes us to our rating for the episode each week we rate on a scale of one to ten rations just like magic rations less is worse more is better jason what do you give episode 10 i don't know if the clatchers could tell but i really loved this episode it was a perfect amount of fun a perfect amount of heroism and adventure and elliot dancing <laughs> So I'm going with nine rations. Well, I definitely enjoyed this more than the last couple of episodes. Like I said, I, I feel really split because I would give Margot's journey and quest a 9.5. But the other stuff I'd probably give around a 7. So I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to give it an 8.3 rations. More than episodes 7 through 9, but not quite as high as a timeline in place. Let's move on to the digital water cooler, where we asked our Clatchers via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, if you haven't followed us yet, what are you waiting for? We asked them, who is your MVM? This week we gave three, although some would argue we should have only given one. <laughs> our options were Margot, Elliot, and the Lizard. Yeah, you gotta put the Lizard up there, you man, and I'm happy lizard. to see he got 5%. Yes, that's Ishi. right. So third place with 5% is the Lizard. Listen, this whole journey, the music... The dancing, and let's be honest, Margot surviving was because of the lizard. And that's why we had to put him there. Coming in second place with 10% was Elliot. This was tough because Elliot himself wasn't really there, but some manifestation of him was, as we discussed, and that was really important for Margot. Even just at times, picturing if he was here, what would he say? Plus all the Elliot-isms that we loved. Yeah, well, it's our first time kind of getting some semblance of the real Elliot instead of the Elliot monster, so that was really great to see. 
Well, it was the first time in a long time seeing Elliot with Margot. And that's what we love, the way they bounce off of each other. But coming in first place, to no one's surprise, with 85% is Margot. We had thought coming into this it would be her episode, and despite the fact that the time was a little bit split, for sure the weight was heavier on her plotline. For all the reasons we've been discussing this entire season, it's been so great to see the growth of Margot and her really discovering her true self in this episode, accepting that, being okay with it, and just being so strong in every circumstance, even one that's really difficult to do. I don't think I would have gotten maybe 15 black grains of sand in before freaking out and having a little fit there. Actually, I'd say no. I think you would actually do well. You love puzzles. <laughs> you sit there on the couch while watching t- movies and you're painting or coloring. Can you imagine, though, doing the tedium of all of that and then figuring out that it means nothing. It's, it's pointless. Oh. I would freak out. I would bring the bag with me on the journey back home just out of... Just to save them. Principle. Yeah. yeah. Do something with them. <laughs> so, Christina, who are you choosing for your MPM? Oh, man, it's got to be Margot, but I do want to give that honorary to the lizard. He needs some love in that as well. Tell me the 85% is the highest percentage of this season. Yeah, it sure is. Next up after that was 78% for Margot in episode four. We had stated and hypothesized that this would be a Margot season. And it looks so far that it is. Yeah, she was the only one to win twice on the poll vote for the season thus far. So I'm going to choose, I'm going to be different. I'm going to choose Dean Fogg. (laughs) Because his beautiful deep voice resonated inside of me. No, um, I'm going to go Margot, of course, but I have to say Elliot was her strength and was a major strength of this episode. Without Elliot being there for Margot to bounce off of, I don't think it would have worked as well. But you got to give it to Margot. What a badass that, chick. That's, I mean, that's still some version of her, too, in reality, when we get right down to it. Yeah, I guess I'm more saying hail. But for sure, it's Margot. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see what the Clatchers had to say about that. Melly says, love how Margot or Summer Bischel, went full-on woman power. High King Elliot wants to vote all of the above. Maybe that should have been the fourth option. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Bert says, was there ever any doubt only a badass female leader could free and empower an entire tribe of women? High King Margot, I'm no princess is right. Plus, I love seeing Elliot and Margot's relationship again. I've missed them. There you go. That's exactly what I was saying. Totally agree. I can't wait for the embrace that they have when the real Elliot finally comes back. Can you imagine? Yeah. Do you think him and... Ooh, do you think he's going to also grab Q because of what happened? Oh, for because sure. Because of his realization? I, I wonder if <laughs> that's even the first instinct. I was mistaken. Mm-hmm. I do love you, Q. Jen says, Margo is one boss bitch. Summer's performance was amazing. I got a little emotional when she let all those feelings out. MVM for sure. So far, my MVM for the season. Yeah, there goes vote number one to think about. It will come time where we'll have to vote MVM for the season. She also says, I think Zelda is who Penny Forty sees in the underworld. The library slash Everett does not like to be betrayed. You know, while we're on that, I was going to wait till later. At the open grave said, I'm calling it now. The person in the elevator is Poppy. If Penny is taking secrets to the grave, that means Poppy lied and the baby is Quentin's. She dies during childbirth, literally, taking her secret to the underworld. Yeah, the issue is I just don't think Poppy is an important enough character. Um, You know, it's not to say her performance isn't great on screen, but I think that has to make a real impact the way they've been leaving it as a cliffhanger. 
So I'm going to go back to, you know, we had thoughts about Victoria, not that she's a huge character either, but the fact that we haven't seen what's happened to her from the mirror world. I was going to argue with you when you said that just now, but thinking Zelda would hold more weight if he opens the door and Zelda's there. Yeah, Zelda, I mean, you know, we don't like to think about that. That could be an option. I think all of these things are probably more likely. But what's her secret? Are you kidding me? I'm sure she's got plenty. We didn't know until a few episodes ago she used to be a hedge witch. But I think at this point, they both could be right. I'm not willing to write any of those off. You know, the CKC should do a skit. We put in the clip of Penny opening the door and then it's us. And we're like, hey. <laughs> we got an amazing comment from Rebecca saying, I just realized Enya Elias was N alias Elias. Uh-huh. It was right there the whole time. Oh, I like that. That's clever, Rebecca. <laughs> Thank you for that. Meg says another phenomenal episode. The Magicians has got to be the best show out there. Thank you. And Summer Bischel, your performance was outstanding. MVM for sure. Can we please save Elliot now and get rid of the monster? (laughs) Amir says, holy shit, Summer, you are an amazing actress. I was so moved by this whole episode. Plus, let's not ignore the many plot developments. Would the monster need a host body for his sister? Would he use Julia? Yeah, so we've talked about that. Yes. You know, he needed a host body in order to come out of his form. So I'm not sure if it would be the same deal for his sister. But, you know, I could see her needing to be a goddess first and figure that out. And then that makes a better host body for his sister to move into. I was more thinking of the woman he picks up at the bar. And you were saying, yeah, we th- what could he mean by I could fix you? We thought that initially and maybe temporarily, but wouldn't you think a god's body would be a better for a permanent housing? I mean, I don't want to see that with Julia, but... No, because it's not the body that makes her the god. It's the seed that's in there. And in order to kill her, you have to kill that seed. Well, I don't think you would. I think it would be like this situation with Elliot where he's just... Oh, I see. ...sort of crammed down into the happy well, place. <clears throat> if that's the case, I say even though she doesn't quote-unquote have power powers, I think she would be too strong to take out like that to yeah, take over who knows i mean i think the real question of all that is going to come down to who these people are and that's why we've been so trying to figure that out it felt like the monster was way more powerful than any of the other gods so theoretically his sister could be also but we're going to talk about that more in a minute first yeah meg said that perhaps the monster could use the girl from the body as the host for his sister oh there you go sorry we don't read these ahead of time. <laughs> thank you meg Isaiah said, I mean, the obvious answer to MBM would be Margot, but desert rock star spirit Elliot looked so fine. It mildly blew my mind and apparently stole my vote. (laughs) Cute. Christina, if you could be with one of the magicians, now granted we've met some of them, but pretend you haven't because it would be awkward. Well, so in universe. Yes. Who would you be with? Character. Hmm. Maybe Josh. I'm trying to think like. As many good qualities as they have, none of them really have a lot of humor and the ability to make you laugh. And that's something I absolutely need. Obviously, I'm with you, Jason. <laughs> Plus, he cooks and he's supportive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of good check marks in that box. How about you? All of them. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can't give that answer. Well, after this episode, Margot. Oh, for man. Sure. Margot is just killing it. I might bore her, though, because I'm not cool enough. She she's digging Josh. You got a lot of oh, those Josh true. qualities. Okay. Shauna says the choices this week should have been Margot, Margot, or Margot. Honestly, I wanted to do different moments of Margot. <laughs> you know. <laughs> we had a little discussion when we were making the poll. 
Uh, she says, the part at the end where she tells Lizard Elliot she misses him really got to me. Can't wait to see our girl fight to get him back. High King Margo, long may she reign. Crown or no crown? Yeah, we got a lot of just comments coming in. Todd, Hillary, all the same thing, you know, Margo hands down. But Elliot Todd says, more about Margot. Number one, she's a magician. Number two, she's a werewolf. Natural magical being not affected by magic rations. Number three, she has a fairy eye. Half fairy? Question mark. Safe from the McAllisters. Number four. And number four, I don't understand. <laughs> um, I think it was a typo. Yeah, but okay, so we could go on and on with that list, right? Just badass. Yeah, Ahmed agrees. Margot the Destroyer, enough said. Oh, someone's getting on you. R.A. Rain says I'd vote for Elliot if the spelling were fixed. I always forget that it's one L. <laughs> yeah, it's my the fault every time. spelling is two L's. Yeah. Apologies. Oh, nice. Elliot Todd, which version? Elliot Lizard or Elliot Monster? <laughs> Brian T. wrote in, is this true? Lightning struck my house and destroyed my TV. But that didn't stop me from watching the musical episode. Oh, my God. If that's true, that's crazy. It was a tough call whether to give it to Margo, Margo, or Margo, but in the end, I chose the lizard. Loved Hallucination Elliot's jacket. Josh was right, though. Two moons. Cold move on Margo's part, but she got it done. Yeah, and now knowing how that guy is. He kind of had that boom. coming. Exactly. Yep. <clears throat> and when he starts to act up, the women there have protection. So he's good. They're all good. Oh, Elliot Todd also says, side note, the monster really moved along the plot line this time. He recovered his memory about his sister and retrieved the fourth stone all by himself. But he didn't pay for those drinks and he killed the girl. The girl meaning Barry the leprechaun. Okay. Not the girl from the bar. So I swear we don't read these beforehand. So it really means a lot when they're saying the same things we're saying. It means we're on the same wavelength, which is amazing. We could have put the monster up there. You know, we don't just pick good characters or hero characters all the time if somebody advances the plot line i didn't really think about that but he actually did he got to angus this episode which was the last person he needed to recover that final stone so that was quite a shift we also got an email from melissa that says random shower thought which you'll understand if you're a patreon member <laughs> i'm suspicious that the binder alice brings back was something found in the mirror realm library any chance things create shards the same way people do when they're in the mirror realm too long. Wow, that's something I hadn't considered, but could this only be a piece of the binder if it was refracted, just a shard of the actual whole binder? That would continue along the quest. I think it depends how far they plan to string this plot line out. If Julia is going to figure it out by the end of the season, then I don't think they would go with that. But if they want to maintain intrigue, that's certainly a way they could get that done. I wonder if it's going to be up to Penny, 23, to essentially do whatever the binder's saying needs to be done for her. Very similar to him having to wash her feet. Uh, maybe something there? Maybe? I don't know. It's a guess. Well, also, she sent us the lyrics to Storm Coming, one of the songs that we heard in this episode. Melissa, you're amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, and she says she wins the vocab word challenge that we do on Patreon because she thinks Stormcoming portends the plot. Oh, there she goes. The end of the season. And we said, who of our clashers will be able to use them? Boom. You win again. <laughs> and we love to look at song lyrics where possible to see if there's some indication. Of course, they choose these songs because... The melody is good. It would be fun on screen, but the lyrics also have to make sense. And they can afford it. Well, I'm surprised because even though it's an older song, 
here I go again. White Snake is fairly big. That's I mean, true. they might still have paid some money for that. Yeah, I think they have in the budget. They had a big one last. It's usually one season. big one, it's right? One big one. Yeah. Although I thought the best choice for how it moved the episode along character-wise was Beautiful Dreamer. But back to this one here. Because I know what's in there is already in the air. There's a storm on the way, and it's coming no matter what I say. There's truth in the thunder, love in the lightning. The feeling is frightening. It's something like stormy weather. On to another chapter. I wish you lots of laughter. Till the next time you see me. Just remember you need me. I'm the storm coming. To avoid the high floods, I can do a dance that'll make the sky cry blood. And I'm singing in the cyclone. I'm writing a raging sea, searching for sign of the times. Is it safe to say it's me? Don't ask why, just live and die. I mean, that would be some bad portends if that's what's coming in the future. (laughs) I don't really want to think that way, but could be. So thank you all the Clatchers who wrote in, followed us on Twitter, voted. We appreciate it so much. It feels like the water cooler is getting bigger and bigger, and I'm really loving it. Yes, and I'm not sure what other shows you guys watch, but I'm really hopeful that some of this crowd will join us for Game of Thrones, which is coming in the near future. We have had so much fun talking about this. That's another show that we are truly in love with. We're getting so excited, even though it's going to be our final season. I don't know what we're going to do after that. This is going to be a great ride. Six weeks, so fast and furious, and we're going to be releasing a season eight prepper coming soon. So keep your eyes open for that. If you love GOT, tell a friend and write in with any of your wild and crazy theories of what could happen in this final season. Contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. And a big thank you to I'm a Whoville who left us an awesome review on iTunes. Keep those coming. It's the only way other people can find us and keep talking about us. We love this. And when we find that you guys are talking about us, we retweet, we click the heart symbol. And I want you to know it's not just a click. It really is a heart. We appreciate everything you guys are doing. And Patreon members, this weekend we will be releasing our movie review and we will continue with our Harry Potter in-depth discussions. This time with number four, Goblet of Fire. And that's going to be an interesting discussion as this is going to be one of the biggest diversions from book to movie that we've covered so far. We're going to have to try to rein it in. (laughs) Keep it a little brief, but... Can't wait for that. In the meantime, we still have our character review and spoiler section for this week. Let's start off with character review where we have a couple of brief things to go over. We did find out, at least we think, that this god the monster was after as his final one was in fact Angus, not Enulius. And Angus in Irish mythology was the god of love, youth, and poetic inspiration, widely considered to be connected to the ancient Celtic god Mapinos. So that was, in fact, incorrect when they called him a Celtic god here. This is slightly different, but as we know, there are versions kind of running throughout all different mythology that have parallels. So in addition to Mapinos, he's also thought to be a version of Apollo from Greek mythology. Mm. If we want something we can wrap our brains around a little more. Okay. Now, that still doesn't really help me if I'm trying to figure out how these people fit together. So if we said it's Dionysus instead of Bacchus, Iris, Hecate, and Apollo, I don't really see a thread going through that at all, but I'll come back to that in a second. In keeping with the Irish folklore, we also had a type of fairy known as the leprechaun, usually depicted as a small beardless man. They're solitary creatures who spend their time making and mending shoes, which I didn't know before this, but makes total sense why they went to a shoe shop to find her. That does make sense. Wow. 
And it makes sense that they would because they're tiny, right? So they're by your shoes already? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. <laughs> um, in the mythology, when captured, they often grant three wishes in exchange for their freedom. That might have been a cool thing to tie in. But they are known to partake in mischief. And that's really the aspect we see here. Absolutely. What would your three wishes be? Oh, well, don't you always get screwed on that? Like, I wish for more to, wishes. Yeah, it's hard to answer because if you think back to one of the most infamous, and actually I think it was Dionysus who granted the wish, King Midas asked for everything he touched to be turned to gold. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's literally what he got. And it wound up being a horrible thing that he had to have, have asked taken away eventually. I know, you're ruining it. <laughs> you know what I would wish for? In my dreams, wishes are not bad. Mm-hmm. I'd wish for a podcast that had millions and millions of listeners, a huge house where we can have the best podcast room surrounded by figurines and posters, and I'd wish for your health forever. I highly doubt that one of those wishes would not be to become rich. Well, that would be... Yeah, okay. (laughs) Well, the rich instead of the podcast room, Mm -hmm. because then we just make a podcast room. Continuing along, we're going to try to keep going with our speculation. Um, I'm at a bit of a dead end here. The thing is, I am not ready to give up on the Osiris and Isis Egyptian myth because it really does seem to be the one that fits best in this situation. And we did have some clatchers saying that it would be a sister and they believe it would be Isis. Right. So perhaps the magicians just decided to flip-flop that a little. They're still taking inspiration, but it's Isis that's being rebuilt rather than Osiris. Uh, I was also thinking if we're going to the dark side of things where we want to be scared of her, because that's what threw me off a bit here, that most likely would not be the way Isis is viewed. But they also had siblings. According to some myths... Osiris and Isis were one of the original five gods of ancient Egypt, born of Geb, the earth, and Nut, the sky. So these myths will say there was Osiris, Isis, Set, the bad, evil brother, Nephthys, and that's who we're going to talk about in a second, the other sister, and finally Horus. Now, later on, they came to say that Horus was the child of Osiris and Isis, so you know, depending on which version you're following there. But either way, Nephthys was a sister, considered an extremely important goddess in her own right. It was her job to protect the souls of the dead. And so she was often called upon for funeral rites and feared for that reason, but honored at the same time. And Set was her brother-husband. The same way we had between Osiris and Isis. So if this monster is in fact Set some version of Typhon that we've been getting from our listeners, then this sister here would be Nephthys. And her link to Horus, who we have been talking about a lot, made her one of the important guardians of his canopic jars that were guarded by Horus's four sons. So one of our listeners wrote in, I believe it was last week, and I forget who it was, I'm so sorry, but saying they thought these bowls that were out there holding the stone organs were going to be the canopic jars. And again, we don't know. Maybe this is some version of that. There are, in fact, four. And in this story, there were four jars, each holding an organ of Horus's. And it's one of the only myths or stories I can find with that number four. So these jars were wide-necked funerary jars that were used as special containers for large human organs. The lung, the liver, the stomach. 
The ancient Egyptians believed the dead person would need their organs in the afterlife, and so they should be carefully stored and buried inside of the tomb with the body. They were individually wrapped in linen and then placed inside of these jars. But for Horus, he had each one of his sons set to guard one of those jars. So could that be some version of the gods that we see here each having an organ? And honestly, at this point, we're really just trying to figure it out. After every episode, watching Christina do this research, her trying to find out who this person could be, and then she comes up with all this stuff, and I'm, I'm just floored by it. So whatever she says, I go, yes, that must be true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was looking here to try to see if their representations could in some way lead us to the gods, because we were saying it was a little weird that they didn't seem to be gods that were connected in any way from the mythology we know, you know, Dionysus, Hecate. But I don't know if I see any connections. Maybe you'll see something here that I don't. Each son was represented through a different depiction, so you will often see them looking like this. We're looking at a picture right now where one is in human form, one is in jackal form, one baboon form, and one hawk form. They're all facing in different directions and protecting a different organ. So you're still clinging on to the Egyptian. Well, this still kind of keeps with the Osiris and Isis myth. It is still one of the ones we know where we have kind of a bad relative set seeking to do harm. Uh, We have a body divided into pieces. It's never the female body. But like I said, I think magicians is going to put their own spin on this anyway. That, to me, fits a little better than other mythologies we've been looking into as possibilities. I mean... There's some crazy stuff if you look at Hindu mythology with some goddesses that are a little frightening, but it doesn't seem to line up in this way. But anyway, tell us your thoughts. Do you have any other ideas based on the new clues we've been given about what could be going on here? That's going to finish everything we have for this episode and just take us to our spoiler section. If you are afraid of that, we will see you next time when we review episode 11. For those of you still here, we know episode 11 will be called The 411. The synopsis is, the gang talks to a book and Tick threatens to drink some water. Well, the gang talks to a book. Is that the binder? Does the binder so. have some sentience? I'm hoping so. I mean, we were thinking, is the binder a person? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a sentient book with a personality. And we had wondered if the monster would somehow wind up assisting in this quest. In the preview, we see Julia asking him if he can help her become a goddess again. That's a dangerous relationship to enter into, but if he is saying he has the power to do all of these different things, most likely he would have the power if he cared to. The question is, why would he want to help her? It looks like Margot has come back to the group, presumably in an effort to try to help Elliot with her ice axes because she's talking to Q. Yeah, I wonder, and you brought this up and I can't stop thinking about it now, I wonder how she gets back to Earth. Yeah, they're not really that concerned with it in the TV version, which I'm kind of happy. I didn't want all of that extreme difficulty every time they were trying to go back and forth. In the books, we had these buttons And there were only a limited amount and you had to have one in order to travel. They kept losing them and Hmm. having to find alternative ways. And it was interesting at first, but then... It would be too much after a while. It's enough. Too real. You know, so... Yeah, I feel you on that. I feel the same way when it comes to the Game of Thrones. And a lot of people complain about this. I don't. Mm -mm. Don't make it where it's too hard for Jon Snow to travel south. And I don't want to see them spending days and weeks having to make Traveling that trek const- the way we did in season yeah. one. You know, it's Agreed. fine. Move around the board at will. 
Um, Tick threatens to drink some water. Is this something to do with how Margot gets out of this situation? Does he, in fact, have to go out there into the desert to help her? Oh, I wonder. That would help us in not hating him as much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe he's going to trip out on lizard liquid. That would be (laughs) so funny. (laughs) No, I think that's only for her. Yeah. It's special. For sure. Until Tick shows me something great you're on my hate list maybe lord fresh has to come back into this picture now oh because she has accomplished it and she was supposed Mm -hmm. to go back to him when that was done right i don't recall i think he said afterwards to come see him okay and we're working our way down to the end after that 411 will only have two episodes the secret c and the seam left to go i can't believe this season has gone so quickly. Me either. And we will be doing those two episodes while at the same time doing Game of Thrones. So mm-hmm. It's going to be a rough couple of weeks. It will. A lot of fun, though. Well, Clatchers, we gave you the parts that we really loved, the little bits that we had some issues with. Let us know what you think. Patreon members, we'll see you really soon with our movie review. And until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me! Try again.